The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. Oh, and real pilots fly Cessnas. I didn't, I didn't pick one of these stories to be the open, and none of them really lends itself to silliness. Uh, well, high wing versus low wing, that's as good as any. Oh, really? Okay. Well, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, why why does it matter? Uh, it's an airplane, and, and airplanes each have their own certain you know specific characteristics and, and, and pluses and minuses. I could have, I could have fun with this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, you ready? Uh, I thought we uh, were doing it. Well, maybe we were. Here we go. So I've been very vocal over the years we've been doing this podcast since the late 50s uh, that, uh, that I am a high-wing person uh, uh, as opposed to many people who seem to be low-wing people. Um, you guys, for example, loving, uh, rightly so, because they're great airplanes, your debonairs and your uh, – your, uh, um, Comanches and and whatnot, um, but I prefer high wing aircraft and uh, and and I've you know I know pretty pretty clearly in my mind that I like high wing aircraft because I like to look at the ground I like to watch what's going on below me and and look around and so and I find that the low wing you know kind of limits my enjoyment if you will. Um, <laughs> You're laughing at me though. What, so what, what, what you do, you guys just, don't the phrase, the phrase limits my enjoyment. That just that I think that just struck him funny. So <laughs> why do you think you like low wing airplanes better than high wing? I don't. You don't think or you don't like? I don't like. I think plenty. I don't like. I, I don't care. Is is what it comes down to. Uh, uh, you own a, you own your Debonair, which is a low wing. Right. Uh, have you owned any other airplanes? I've owned part of a high wing airplane. That's right. It was what, like a like a Skyhawk or something like two hundred five. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Um, and and what? So you, the, the only the only the only problem with a low wing or a high wing on a high wing when you walk into the wing it hurts your forehead. <laughs> with a low wing, it hurts your shin or your knee. <laughs> and okay. that's that's, that's the big the, difference. One, one of the true one of the true <clears throat> measures of personal preference. Which would you rather scar? This is good. This is good. Yeah. Would, uh, I'm sorry. Which would you rather what? Scar. Oh, I which see. You'd yeah, rather your scar. Head, your head. Well, I mean, it's it, not simply a question of which you'd rather scar. It is true. It's not simply that you, what part of your body you're going to injure. Low wing is always there in your sight. You can see it. The high wing, no, especially if you wear a, a baseball cap like well, I do yeah. a lot, all right? Yeah. You'll the lose high sight of it. Is, right? why, do, yeah. why do I want to see the wing? So you don't run into it. <laughs> you don't walk into it. Oh, I see. I, okay. I, I was thinking, like, from, from the cockpit. No, no, I no, mean, no. if a wing falls off, I'll know immediately. Yeah, no, I'm talking, <laughs> I'm talking about, like, pre-flight. I'm talking about, like, you know, walking around admiring the airplane. I have walked into the trailing edge. Man, I'm telling you, on, on these Cessnas, the trailing edge of the, aile, of the ailerons, uh, not so much the ailerons, but the, uh, the uh, flaps, is a sharp you know kind of edge of metal well, and i'm telling later you models they rounded the trailing edge a little bit there's a little small piece of uh metal tubing you sure yeah. they rounded it or it was just so many people bumped their head on it that it, it, I, well i mean it, i think it's 
this is the, I'm thinking of the flap. The the aileron is still tapered to a, a you know a, a, an edge, as it were. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And it's got that the, waffle finish on it because right. of the corrugation which, and the which, skin. Which I think you know under certain circumstances can look quite attractive on the forehead. It, as long as it's centered, jewel both, in the center both laterally and vertically, as long as it's centered, it, it can be quite chic. Yeah, right, right. No, really. Now, some people seem to think that there can be a difference in the handling characteristics when you land, particularly in the flare high wing. Well, there is. There can be. There, there can be, yeah. What, what's that? Well, the, the, the low wing airplane is closer. The wing on the low wing airplane is closer to the ground. Yeah. Therefore, ground effect works better for you um, or works can work in your favor if you know how to use it let's put it that way yeah. um, uh, you get a little bit more of a cushioning effect as it were um, than with a high wing because of the distance from the, the ground on the highway David what do you think well I'm, I'm with Jeb here uh, that but that ground effect thing from the low wing can be a benefit to you if used properly. It can be a detriment to you if you have a, a sloppy hand at speed control. Uh, you know, you, uh, you 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 get to the numbers five knots too fast, and you're you know six inches off the ground and five knots too fast. You're going to eat up a few hundred feet more pavement before the mains touch, and you know if 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 the runway's short, that can be an important few hundred feet. Uh, if you've got to uh, put an airplane onto a field with a little growth on it, high wing has some advantage. Sure, yeah. uh, I find that, particularly, I found living in Kansas for almost 20 years, that uh, there are days when my friends and myself included with low wings were more comfortable going out flying in some pretty stiff cross wings than some of our friends with high wings. Really, yeah, that that, yeah. that makes sense too. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I I would feel more comfortable in a low wing airplane when the when the wind's honking. Yeah. Well, you yeah. got a lot more experience in in a low wing airplane than, I, I mean, you got a lot. Well, of I've experience. I've got, I don't know, pick a number of hours. Um, I'd say at least forty percent of them are in high wing airplanes. Okay. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. Uh, uh, maybe even a little more than 20% in high wings uh, than low wings. But uh, uh, there was a day during my private pilot training that the winds at my home field were in the high teens, 90 degrees off the runway. And I'd soloed and I'd been cleared to fly to about a dozen area airports. And I had a night lesson coming up and I thought, way cool. I'm going to go out and do a little practice at these different airports, which means first off taking off in that honking crosswind and then headed off to El Dorado, Kansas, where there was a crosswind runway. And I practiced doing some short and soft approaches and strong winds. Then went to Newton, Kansas and practiced a little bit up there on their crosswind and their main runway, which put me back in a crosswind. And then decided to visit little Benton, Kansas, uh, which is now called Stearman Field. And the resident flight instructor there, wonderful guy named Ron, way too tall for the 150s that he taught in. Uh, I think it's responsible for his stooped neck, frankly. But uh, I did a touch and go. I did a rejected landing. Then I came in and did a full stop, turned around, taxied back to the ramp. 
hopped out, went up on the front porch of the old op shack, dropped 50 cents in the soda machine that was there, and sat down in a rocking chair next to Ron. And I'm feeling pretty good, a little full of myself even. And uh, You, David? I said, so, no. I said, you're, uh, you're, shocked. you're a long-time instructor. How did that look? And he said, well, I'm surprised you're out here. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, what, what's your wind limit? And I thought he was asking me about the demonstrated crosswind capability of the airplane. So I quoted the number. And he goes, no, no, no. What wind limit did your instructor give you? Yeah. And it kind of caught me off guard because my instructor, Don, had not given me a wind limit. You were a student at the time? I was a student, yeah. But I was a student coming in with all this hang gliding and ultralight time. Right. And Don was real happy with my progress. And so when he soloed me the second day of my instruction with him, uh, and then about three days later cleared me for a half a dozen airports in the area, wind limit never came up. And it, it, it had dawned on me, there's Ron, who's making his living as a flight instructor. You know, if the Hobbs meter ain't running, he's not making any money. And there's his two 150s and the 172 sitting there rocking back and forth against their tie-down lines. And I said, why aren't you instructing today? And he goes, well, the wind's above what I like my students to fly in in these airplanes. So what wind limit would you give me? And he goes, well, I don't know. In your airplane, it was a Cherokee, low wing. He said, but uh, for my uh, uh, primary students in the 150, it's five knots. For my primary students flying five in the two, it's ten knots. Ten knots, wow. Ten knots of crosswind. Yeah, I understand. I understand. Yeah, and uh, I said, so I'd be sitting in a rocking chair all day watching this and doing nothing. He goes, yeah, but apparently you're doing okay because I didn't see anything wrong with your technique. Uh, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Mm -hmm. And that was the last it came up. And when I saw Don that night, I asked, I said, do you normally give a student a wind limit, you know, for crosswinds and, and headwinds? And he goes, oh, yeah, normally uh, – Student in a 172, it'd be 10 knots cross and uh, 15 knots into the wind. And in the 150s, it'd be 5 knots cross and 10 knots into the wind until they, uh, until they were, you know, well, it depends on how well they were progressing. Mm -hmm. now, so you didn't think I needed a wind limit? Eh, no, I didn't think you needed a wind limit, but you're flying a low wing, and it would have been different numbers anyway. Now, wait a minute. Run this, run this by me again. Why is a low-wing aircraft better in a crosswind? Because the wind won't get under the wing as readily. Okay, I guess. And, and by being that much closer to the ground, the ground, of course, tends to interfere with the flow of wind. So it might slow it down a little bit or, or uh, help out a little bit, if you will, versus the you know three or four feet difference. It's, it's, is it measurable? I don't know. Uh, a lot of people uh, seem to think that um, the low wing is, is preferable in a crosswind situation. It, it all comes down to technique. Mm -hmm. they, Dave's talking about you know student-level student, student level crosswind limits. I never had anything like that. It never even came up uh, in my training. Yeah, um, I'm trying to remember. The, air, the airport at which I learned to fly uh, had three runways arranged in a triangle, so you only had, I think, a max of 30 degrees cross. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, it wasn't really, it just wasn't an issue. And the times that there were, was a crosswind, you dealt with it, you, you got the experience, you moved on. Um, I've, I've never um, had too much of an issue with crosswinds. I, I remember, gosh, I don't know, four, five, six years ago, I was going into Manassas uh, one afternoon, and wind was honking. It was, I think, steady 20, gust 30, something like that. And uh, the tower people, I think they were just sitting back with a mug of coffee with their feet up. I don't think there was any traffic out there. I came smoking in, and he's like, you know the, the wind is, you know, 20, gust 30, direct cross, don't you? So, yeah, I know. Dude, I got 5,500 5, foot runway. It's 150 feet wide. If I can't get it down on that, just a little old debonair, <laughs> I should hang it up, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, just kept my speed up a little bit, and it really wasn't any big deal. Planted the upwind main and uh, let it decelerate a little bit, maintain directional control, plant the rest <laughs> of the wheels, and taxi home. It's not It's not a big deal. And, and, and none of what we're saying here is to – uh, meant to impart that we believe that there's some kind of inherent superiority of low versus high. But there's just differences yeah. you have to learn to deal with. Right. right. Now, let me That's ask right. you this. Are, are there any design differences? For example, I, I want to say that I've seen that low wings have tend to have more dihedral in the wings. Am I imagining that? Yeah, that's a, that's a fair assumption, and that's, that's a, a fair, fair observation. Yeah, and there's a reason for that. Yeah. The reason is that uh, in a in a high wing airplane, <clears throat> most of the weight of the aircraft is below the wings. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, it creates a kind of a, a pendulum effect, if you will, uh, minimizing the need for uh, dihedral. <clears throat> Let me clear my throat. Dihedral, of course, uh, um, helps with um, um, roll stability, and sometimes with yaw stability. Um, so, you know, in a low-wing airplane, the weight is not as well distributed. You don't get the same kind of pendulum effect, if you will, that you do in a high-wing. So you see more low-wing airplanes with pronounced dihedral than you would a, a high-wing airplane. Mm -hmm. David, you uh, want to add, add anything to that? That's aerodynamics, you know. Not, it's not even aerodynamics 101. It's like, you know, 99 or something. Okay. Well, and it, you know, you 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 ask one of the, about you know why some uh, high wings and not all high wings are inherently worse than crosswinds. Part of it depends on, on how much dihedral they have. Some of them, some high wing airplanes have zero dihedral. Yeah, depends uh, on how how depends on the aileron uh, capability, uh, length of the wings themselves, kind of uh, flaps you've got, exactly uh, how much you're using. There's a lot of variables. Whether it's a tailwheel or a tricycle, no. a high wing is better at a lot of things. <clears throat> Excuse me, a high wing is better at many things. Yeah, a low wing is better at many things. Um, but what what I was trying to get at earlier on, I guess, though, is that it doesn't really matter. Each airplane has its own characteristics, its own uh, um, benefits, its own drawbacks, if you will, and they're all a compromise at one level or another. That's right. Um, you find the best airplane for your mission. And that's what you fly. Well, I don't and care if it's low wing, high wing, or both. Yeah. And learn to fly it like you, you like you were born in it. Yeah, uh, I've been doing some air work. I'm up in. Uh, well, Jack we'll come back to that, that in a minute. We'll come back to but, that. Uh, you know, one of the things that we discussed was uh, in the mission I'm on right now was the higher need for the circumstances we're flying in to know thy airplane. 
yeah. and to know thy airplane well. And really, that's the key to all of this. Know thy airplane. Uh, know what those traits are, uh, how to deal with them, and how to get the, the best and the most out of it. Uh, you know, Jack mentioned, or Jim mentioned the air getting under the, the high wing more effectively. Part of that is because the intersection of the wing and the fuselage mm-hmm. creates, you know, a big trap there uh, where the air has to, it flows under the wing, strikes a fuselage, it's got to go somewhere. Uh, some airplanes, as it goes back by the tail, it wants to push the tail sideways more. Well, this happens a little bit in low-wing airplanes, but in a crosswind, a low-wing airplane, the air goes right over the top of the fuselage because underneath, there's nothing down there to obstruct it. It goes under as easily, more easily than it goes over, and it doesn't go over with all that much resistance to begin with because there's nothing there to block it. Uh, On the other hand, High-wing airplanes are far better in some circumstances uh, and for some operations, and low-wings have their benefits, like Jeb said. They're all compromises. We all need to know how to use them, whatever we're doing. Love the one you're with and and, and, (laughs) and be one with the one you love. (laughs) Just do it in the other other room, please. (laughs) Welcome, folks. (laughs) On that note, uh, welcome, folks, to uh, episode 170 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. Recording this episode uh, on Friday evening. It's Friday, right? Friday evening. uh, Friday. January 29th, 2010. Almost and, uh, out of January, man. Time flies when you're having flies. fun. Time flies, isn't it great? Um, and uh, uh, time spent flying. Uh, sorry, there was a quote in there someplace. Uh, joining me here tonight in the virtual hangar, let me say hi to, uh, to my friends here. First of all, Jeb Burnside is out there talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. How are you doing tonight? I'm, I'm well. I'm glad this week is over with. I'm looking forward to the weekend and uh, <clears throat> just mellowed out here at home a little bit. This you got week. any fun plans? Uh, airplane work, motorcycle work. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit more about this airplane work in a little bit. Uh, we had a listener who wanted to wanted me to follow up on some things. And yeah, I think yeah, it was a good idea. I, we'll I come back to that. Yeah. Also here in the virtual hangar tonight is uh, Dave Higdon, who uh, who who actually tonight is talking to us from an undisclosed location. He's dun, 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 apparently dun, dun, dun. in the bunker. And uh, <laughs> David, I don't know, David, are you able to say where you are tonight? You're on are the you, road. Are sure. you really with Liz Cheney? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm up in South St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh-huh. And I've spent the last couple of days visiting with the nice folks at uh, Whip Air, Inc. Uh-huh. And looking at their operation. I can't at the moment get into the reason I'm up here visiting with the Whip Air folks. Uh, but I've had a nice... Uh, uh, I've had a very cool couple of days. <laughs> well, okay, in more ways than one. How's the weather up there? Well, it's warmed back up to. Uh, it's dropped back from a peak of about ten degrees back down to seven. Uh, when I went to the airport this morning, Celsius, uh, right? Uh, it was minus seven, and when I took yet. off on uh, on on a to do a little air work. Uh, Oh, I don't know. I'm going to say about 9.30 this morning. It was still minus 3. So we're having a real heat wave here, having it get up into positive numbers. But that's all going to go negative again before uh, I bail out of here back to Wichita tomorrow. And fortunately, you were saying the wind wasn't really blowing. So uh, all you you have to do is deal with those regular temperatures. Back home at the air capital, 
they got uh, a little over half a foot of snow uh, in the last 24 hours. Yeah, apparently what Knoxville is getting hammered tonight. In well, Raleigh Durham is supposed to get hammered tonight. Uh, Oklahoma and uh, Arkansas, they're along the Interstate 40 corridor. Uh, those poor folks have been suffering an ice storm, uh, yeah. freezing rain and all the nasties that that uh, portents. Uh Wichita, uh, according to the lovely Brian Annie, has got about seven or eight inches of really lovely, powdery, puffy snow. So the dog's loving it. The four-wheel drive truck's loving it. Uh, the airports have been, you know, for the most part, getting cleared pretty easily there. A uh, hundred miles south, uh, it's a serious case of the nasties. So Yeah, yeah. Hey, and uh, before we go much further, I'm Jack Hodgson, and Yay! I'm talking to you from the home office here in Dover, New Hampshire, where it's uh, it's been beautiful, but uh, I'm sorry, I, I said I was going to move on from weather, and then I immediately launched into it, all right? <laughs> it got cold today. It got cold, and it was really windy here, I'll tell you. It was like 17 degrees gust, and then the gut wind was gusting it, you know, or wind chilling it down below zero, they say, so it was pretty chilly um, here today. I'm um, just not going to say anything. But like more, I said, it's but... February. Uh, it's almost February, and uh, although, you know, I like to say up here that... Uh, up in New England, January is the coldest month of the year, but February is the longest. And uh, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're about to. Yeah, I, I get that. We're I about to, that uh, to marshal on here through through the rest of winter. Um, so, listen. Uh, let's see now, Jeb. Uh, a couple yeah. of different subjects I've heard from listeners recently asking uh -huh. that we kind of follow up on these. And uh, right. the first one is that you made mention um, a few episodes ago about uh, doing detailing on your airplane. Uh, right. I guess. Right. Was it you who actually brought somebody in to help you with the detailing? I, I did. Yeah. Um, actually, I I, uh, I brought a guy in. He he'd done uh, um, airplanes before, Gulf Streams, that kind of quality, uh, as well as the smaller ones. He he made most makes most of his money doing uh, uh, ground vehicles, motorcycles, and trucks, and, and cars and things like that. Yeah. Uh, he did one of my bikes. And then I uh, had him do the airplane. Right. Uh, he did most. Of, he did most, if not all, of the work. Right. Uh, in the forums, uh, listener Riga Runner asks uh, that he says, "I wonder if Jeb could talk a little more about airplane detailing, especially regarding which products to use in cleaning and polishing the airplane." He writes, uh, "I've been told that one cannot use standard automobile products on an airplane for fear of damaging the paint and the plexi and causing corrosion." Uh, so he asks, "Which products work well, and and might we?" He asks us to recommend. I'm not sure if we want to actually recommend things, but yeah. uh, but you know, what are our thoughts? Um, I, I asked this specific question once, uh, just a few years back, of the manufacturer of the paint on my airplane, and I said, you know, you know, the airplane's painted; it looks good. I want to keep it this way. What, how should I keep it? Um, what, what do I need to do to, to you know, uh, maintain it the best I can? And it basically were two responses. One, keep it clean. Don't let dust build up. Don't let it get ground into the paint. Keep the airplane clean. You don't have to keep it squeaky clean, but you know, try to keep the dust and the dirt off of it. The second thing is, is when you when you wax it, and you will wax it, or you should wax it, at least a, you know a painted metal airplane. Uh, <clears throat> just use a good quality automotive wax. There's there's nothing um, special about. Uh, paint on an aluminum airplane that says you can't just use one of these modern car waxes. Um, and that's, you know, that's basically what I use. 
I don't know what the detailing guy used. I think he used one of these um, one of these new tech um, um, catalytic style con- uh, coating on it, as opposed to a wax. It it uh, it acts like a wax. It it protects the paint, um, um, and it obviously shines the paint up a little bit. Um, so that's you know I guess one part of the answer. Uh, um, the other part of the answer is, you know, how do you get it, how do you keep it clean? How do you get it clean? Um, there are products out there that uh, you should not be using on um, an aircraft, specifically aluminum aircraft. Um, for certain other aircraft, they might be okay. A fabric uh, um, covered aircraft um, built around steel tubes or something like that might be okay. First, first place to look though is the label. Read the label on the product itself. If it says, and it, the, a lot of them do say, do not use on aluminum. Don't use it on an aluminum airplane. Mm-hmm. Um, it, aluminum doesn't rust in the conventional sense of, of ferrous metals rusting, but it does corrode, and it corrodes fairly easily. Uh, there's a very thin coating on, on most aluminum uh, alloys, uh, sheet, sheets especially, that uh, help protect it from oxidation, which is the the aluminum version of rust, oxidation. And um, there are many products out there that will promote oxidation in aluminum. Um, It's been, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago now, uh, when I was working at AvWeb, we came across an item where one of the... uh, Major name brand GA magazines had done an article on spring cleaning your airplane, and one of the products they featured, uh, which is the old comp, the the original I should say, <clears throat> composition of Simple Green. Um, at, at there was a an Air Force Army study that had come out, maybe it was Navy, um, but a U.S. military study that had come out just months or a couple of years before this article that talked about how. The simple green's original formulation basically just kind of dissolved aluminum. <clears throat> um, they did a test, and they, you know, different you know controls like water, pure water, salt water, uh, things like this, and simple green and other chemical uh, based cleaners. Uh, dipped them in, um, dipped dipped little tabs of of aluminum into uh, into these liquids, and took them out and weighed them before and after and and you know over a period of time simple green lost a lot of mass it caused mm. the aluminum to lose a lot of mass and that's never a good thing yeah now simple green has um since uh formulated uh some of their products differently there is a product called simple green extreme that supposedly is good for aluminum and therefore for aircraft I don't know that for a fact. That's what their their advertising says, and you know I, I accept that. I've not used any of that on my airplane though. My book, you know, just soap and water and some elbow grease. Um, the the uh, well, I guess the third thing is is degreasing the belly, and I have a low wing airplane as we just discussed, so um, don't really see the uh, grease on the belly all that much, but it's there. And when I when I do the airplane. Uh, clean it up, wax it, whatever, um, I get under the belly and uh, wipe it down. I use a, uh, a very simple, very cheap product for that. You can get it 
just about any auto parts store or uh, Walmart, whatever. It's called Gojo. It's a hand cream. It's a yep. hand cleaning uh, um, cream. It's about a buck ninety nine in a small tub. It takes a couple of three of those tubs. Uh, to do the airplane when it's really greasy, maybe just one if you got a smaller airplane or or you don't have a wet vacuum pump like I do, um, and it it helps dissolve the the grease and the and the dirt and everything from the bottom of the airplane. There's, it's not abrasive. It's a you make sure you get a hand cleaner that doesn't have pumice in it, um, and uh, it's good on your hands. It's good, you know. It's it's uh, uh, um, cleans up the airplane. Doesn't leave any residue behind. And uh, it's non-corrosive. What about these? Uh, what about these grease-busting, you know, home cleaning sprays? The Formula Four Hundred Nine kinds of things. They. I wouldn't use Four Hundred Nine in an airplane. Uh, okay, why not? Uh, it's too I, harsh? I I'm not. I'm not sure about it. Okay. All right. Okay. That's that's the first answer. Jeb just touched on one of the one of the uh, many aspects of a low-wing airplane that. Is not one of the more fun aspects of it, and that's getting a really good mechanics creeper and that's right. sliding around underneath that puppy, cleaning the belly. And it's not that high wing airplanes don't get dirty down there too, but the underside of the wing doesn't uh, doesn't collect oil film in a high wing nearly like that wing root and the inboard portions of a low wing. Yeah, and with a retractable low wing, for that matter, just about any low wing. If the runway surface you're operating from is wet, you sling up water on it mm-hmm. uh, on, on the other, underside of the wing. You, that happens with um, 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 high wing airplanes too, but it's a lot easier to clean in a high wing. Right. There, there is a there is a product that I've used uh, for a long time to clean and degrease uh, the uh, the airplane. That's very commonly found in homes and is known for its. Uh, uh, Skin friendly properties, Ivory and that's soap. Dawn Dawn dishwashing yeah, yeah, liquid. Yeah, 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 really. You know, you can find uh, it. You can find it at almost any grocery store or a uh, 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 convenience store. Even uh, it's very mild. It's got really good grease dissolving properties, uh, and, and you can apply it. You know, apply it to directly to a sponge, and it will really go to work on it. And then it rinses off pretty nicely. So, mm-hmm. Okay. Any other thoughts on uh, on detailing or cleaning your airplane before Look you go on? Look at here? the label of the product. You've you've got to read the label. Yeah. Um, there are there are some organic products out there that I that pro- might be preferable to um, the the more traditional uh, chemical soups. Um, but um, you, you know, soap and water, ivory soap. Uh, dishwashing liquid or 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 Dawn dishwashing liquid. We're, we're talking a fairly mild detergent. It's not going to um, um, be that corrosive, if if at all, and uh, you're going to rinse it off. Yeah, and then before we move on here, but what about cleaning the plexi? Anything special there? Yeah, there are, yeah. There are several yeah, products there's... out there. Yeah, you don't want to use Windex. You don't want to use uh, with with um, plexiglass. Uh, you basically have similar um, concerns. You want to keep it clean, free of dust to help eliminate scratches. Um, and uh, if you do clean it, you want to use a lot of water. You want to try to hose off the plexiglass first to get the loose dirt and then use um, you know, a lot of liquid. You know, Again, soapy water is, is good when you're washing the airplane. 
Um, I like to use uh, some of the the products that are you know sold and marketed specifically for um, um, plexiglass, and you know there's I think McGuire's McGuire's has a has a very good product comes in a plastic bottle. I use that for a while. Um, there's some aerosols out there that uh, work very good. One of the aerosols I use, I swear it's lemon pledge in a in a repackaged can. Uh huh. Um, it, it just kind of looks like it, it feels like it, it smells like it. Um, and, and a lemon pledge may be uh, a good product. I don't know. This stuff is sold specifically for, for aircraft plexiglass, and, and that's one of the reasons I use it. Okay. And there's some really nice uh, fabric cloths sold. You can find them at some of the air shows and, and aviation trade shows that are really good uh, because they're soft. They have no scratchy tendencies. Some of the microfiber. Well some of those yeah. chemicals. Or some, some of the microfiber. I've been using some of the microfiber towels lately. You yeah. can get this fairly cheaply uh, nowadays. And uh, they're, they're very nice when it comes to trying to minimize the, the, the footprint of the, of the cloth you're using, um, which is a good, good point. And, and, uh, and I use, you know, try to use 100% cotton, you know, terry cloth, things like that. And uh, I've been very, very uh, fortunate. And I, I, I had a card in the Comanche <laughs> that I would put on the uh, glare shield at yeah. airports that I was new to. And it said, no paper towels on windows, please. Right. Because there were some places that were carrying the same kind of paper towels for cleaning your windows that you'd find at your average gas station ah. where they're cleaning glass. Right. And glass is much tougher. Uh, some of our windows are plexiglass, like Jim's mentioned. Some of them are poly, uh, more advanced polycarbonates and are harder. Uh, but they're all still plastic. And even the harder compounds can, can be scratched, even by something that you would not think is going to be scratchy as a, a paper towel. But the wood fiber content in some of these paper towels can be pretty considerable. Yeah. And, you, you know, if, it's, if you rub it on your face and you wouldn't want to use it to wash your kid's face with, don't use it to wash your airplane windows. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. You, use some common sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks to Riga Runner for uh, yeah. for uh, proposing the question. is an interesting an interesting subject. Off field landing of the week. Here we go. Uh, so this is a story from uh, the Napa oh, Valley. Oh, it's an air coup. I know the uh, NapaValleyRegister dot com website. Uh, no one hurt in Napa plane crash is the headline. A plane crashed during takeoff Thursday afternoon. This is dated, what, January 15. A plane crashed during takeoff <laughs> Thursday afternoon at Napa County Airport after a reported engine failure. The pilot, the sole occupant of the plane, was not injured. Uh, American Canyon, which is apparently the neighborhood up in that area, American Canyon resident uh, Josh Gray, 23, was taking off from the airport in a 1949 single-prop air coupe at about 2.40 p.m., according to the sheriff's office. Um, an engine failure at about 200 feet forced him to perform an emergency landing in a field just south of the airport. And uh, so, yeah, and there's kind of a sad picture side-by-side side here of the uh, of the air coop uh, in a field of some sort, not a farm field, sort of a... Mine almost looks like it's almost like wetlands or something like that. Well, but, yeah, it looks like the overrun area. Yeah, it's, and, a, it's overrun. Yeah. Yeah, and and, uh, and it's uh, sort of and its tail is angled up as if the the nose gear dug in. And uh, I was going to say the nose gear looked like it might have folded. Uh, and Alicia Wyman of the register staff, you are forgiven 
because the word sounds like air coop. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's how she wrote yeah. it. Two air words. Coop, two words, uh, capital A, capital C. And even the air coop, E-R-C-O-U-P-E, hasn't been completely consistent through the airplane's history. So, But, you know, to air coop is divine. Yeah. Something that uh, one of our uh, uh, listeners pointed out in the forums um, about this particular story that he thought was admirable is that the uh, the pilot resisted the urge to try and turn back. Uh, when the engine failed, uh, apparently someone who, who is familiar with the geography out there, um, the uh, the pilot landed straight ahead um, and uh, walked away from it. You know, So it's a le- that's a lesson. I mean, it's a lesson we kind of know, but you, sometimes I've never been in that situation, but I can imagine the urge to turn will be strong. And, uh, well, and it, it, when you're only 200 feet up, there, you, you really don't have a lot of yeah, options. Yeah, you, you, you don't turn. You for sure don't turn at 200 feet, and, uh, and this you know, guy didn't. If, you know, if so, you're uh, quick enough and instinctive enough to know to push the nose over real quick, so that you've got more control on your touchdown. That that from two hundred feet, that should be sufficient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So congratulations to uh, Josh Gray. Good job, and uh, that's the glad off. that you walked away, and mm-hmm. hope that the air coop lives to fly another day. That's right. Yeah, it's going to need a new prop, but other than that, yes, well, uh, yeah, it looks like it. You know, maybe he was lucky, and it was just a wood prop, and it yeah won't be tough or expensive, uh, but. These days, the FAA even wants a tear down from a wood prop strike. Yeah. Well, except the engine had already failed, so who knows what that's going to turn who knows? into? Yeah, who knows? yeah. So good job, good job, good job. Way to go, way to go, Josh. Yeah. Another uh, from the forums, um, listener uh, uh, Stefan or Stefan uh, S. Balmer is his uh, username in the forums. Um, there's actually two stories here. Um, the first one is that uh, Stefan tells us that uh, he has just or is just about to pass uh, his for his commercial pilot's license, uh, and as he oh January 14th. So uh, so congratulations on that. That's excellent. Congratulations on the commercial. Um, and uh, he writes in the forums about what he described. I read this headline at first, and I thought, oh, this is going to be a sad story because his headline <laughs> is "My last cross country as a private pilot." And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what's the, this is something's happened. He can't go flying anymore well it's because he's no longer a private pilot he's now a commercial pilot he writes a really uh, uh, interesting story about his dad visiting from uh, uh, um, from out of the country uh, let's see if i can see it. as it happened my dad switzerland. my father a licensed pilot in switzerland was in town and had a weekend to spare since i wanted to get some more time in type before my commercial check ride we decided to point the nose eastward he, he's out on the west coast um, and after an overnight stay in las vegas we got up early and headed out over the grand canyon he said it was a perfect day, cold and a few high cirri to keep the thermals down, and the air was smooth. Um, apparently just had a really nice flight. Now let's see now where it is. Someplace in here, um, there are pictures of this. Oh, bottom, what it is. bottom of the post, the link. Is he it, put, a, put a link in. Yeah. Um, yeah. To, he's posted uh, on his webpage um, about, uh, about maybe 15 or so pictures from the airplane um, near and over the Grand Canyon. Some really beautiful shots. And we, we talked about flying over the Grand Canyon a few weeks back. Um, these pictures are much closer to the canyon than I mm-hmm. thought you could get in a GA aircraft. Um, is that your impression or is this what you expected? I didn't really have any expectations. That's pretty normal for that part of the country. It is. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, so he's in a looks like an archer or a warrior. Um, 
hard to say, you know, how high he is. Uh, I don't know, maybe 10,000 feet. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, some beautiful shots here. It's yeah. just yeah. a spectacular. Nice, you know, nicely done, yeah. I've never been to the Grand Canyon. So, I mean, I think I've flown over it in airliners, which is not the same thing. Although it's kind not of spectacular, even, even from 35,000 yeah. feet. Um, but, uh, you know, everyone says it's one of the things that doesn't disappoint, you know, when you actually see it. And these pictures <laughs> indicate that. It's pretty spectacular and pretty gorgeous. Um, some nice pictures. We'll put a link. It's uh, kind of hard to say the... Uh, the URL. So we'll put a link in the show notes and probably, well, it's in the forums too, so you can find it there. Um, but uh, anyways, congratulations to uh, to Stefan. Uh, and, and his uh, dad. Uh, and his dad, but congratulations to him for his commercial and, uh, and for uh, telling us about this great flight that he took this particular day. That's great. Uh, what else here? Oh, so you know what? So we re- last, we recorded the last episode about 10 days ago. Um, at that time, it was just a couple days before the beginning of the uh, of the uh, sport pilot uh, the sport uh, uh, aircraft expo sport aviation Sebring. expo exactly at thank Sebring. you um, and there was a, a news story in Avweb that Piper was toying with the, a rumor that they were toying with the idea of buying the sport cruiser LSA and making it their own and like the next day. Uh, Piper did, in fact, announce at the Sebring show that they were purchasing the Sport Cruiser, and uh, um, they've now I'm blanking on what they've named it. They've named it like the Piper, Piper Sport. Piper Sport. Oh, Piper Thank Sport. you. Piper Sport. Yeah. 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 So, Jeb, you got over to Sebring a little bit. What? what <laughs> yeah. was, uh, What was it like over there? Uh, I had a. We were. I was over there the first day, um, the day that Piper made this announcement, and uh, I was uh, quite impressed. Uh, a lot of the. Uh, um, Traditional, the vendors you would expect were there, um, be they at, at Sun and Fun or Oshkosh or uh, um, the uh, LSA Expo. Um, I was quite impressed. There was a good turnout. All, the manufacturers were, were well represented. Um, there was, all of the wind was honking. There were still some people flying. There were some interesting aircraft, some interesting ideas, some interesting tech, and uh, um, I was quite surprised and quite quite impressed. It's a uh, at least from that snapshot, the LSA industry is a, a very dynamic, very vibrant, and hanging in there. I think more than anything, you never know what you're going to find these days when you you're you're engaged in in looking at some segment of the economy. And um, I was quite surprised, favorably impressed. Yeah, uh, David, I know you weren't there. Have you heard any buzz from your uh, friends and connections? Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, I've heard it to kind of echo Jeb that it was uh, really a, a, a good show, uh, strong attendance, uh, which is kind of a nice uh, thing to hear coming out of the year we just ended. Uh, and uh, enough new product buzz to, uh, to you know, make the professional journalist uh, happy because, you, you, you know, so many of them just aren't happy unless they got something new to write about. What? You didn't come out with 10 new products this year? What's wrong? Your business failing? Uh, that kind of stuff. So uh, the, the, the Piper news, uh, that's certainly not a, not a bad sign, I think, for the business. Uh, Garmin had some news there, uh, there were some new manufacturers there, uh, a couple of them at least, I'm told. Uh, but mostly it was really good energy, and uh, the, the audience that attended, the, the paying crowd, uh, seemed to be uh, what the marketing people call, a lot of them at least, uh, qualified 
prospects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is, folks with both the uh, the resources and the interest in moving into that kind of an aircraft. And uh, uh, so that's good to hear. Uh, and I was also in this uh, this post from uh, Jim P. Um, he mentioned uh, some of the uh, airplanes that he's considering. Uh, he, he mentioned an article in the recent uh, in a recent kit planes about the Just Aircraft Company's Highlander, uh, which he calls an SLA. I think he means an LSA Bush plane. Uh, I flew the Highlander for kit planes for an article about six years ago, and I was impressed with it then. That was before we had the final rules on light sport aircraft and the sport pilot's license. And they really weren't sure what they were going to do in that regard because they were waiting for the rules to be finalized. Uh, but uh, Highlander is a nice big tail wheel, uh, bush plane, uh, side-by-side seating. Uh, the one I flew, I believe, had a big Jabiru engine in it. Uh, the 120 horse. Uh, this one that they're writing about is the uh, uh, sport light sport candidate is using a 914 Rotax. That's the 115 hmm. horse, and uh, you know 115 horse and turbocharging, so it keeps power up high. Yeah. But that, that that Highlander is just straight up and down a, a a really lovely airplane with no bad habits that I detected at least. If they haven't changed it. In uh, the the setup, in any particular serious regards, it should still have that, and probably perform a little bit better because the the nine fourteen, even with the turbochargers, uh, a somewhat lighter engine than the uh, six cylinder Jabiru, mm-hmm. uh, and in the same horsepower range too, one hundred and twenty versus one hundred and fifteen. So uh, one's direct drive, one's got a reduction drive, but really. Really nicely thought out design, sturdy, uh, falls right into that category really well with room to spare. And an airplane with a you know a little over seven hundred pounds of useful load, uh, that's not shabby at all. Yeah, no, it's not. Yeah, um, the Highlander was the airplane. There was a series of videos that were getting some some notice of a while back about a guy who was landing out in the out in the bush uh, or out in the mountains. Like on mountaintops and on the sides of steep hills, you know the and ones on I'm talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, those videos have disappeared. They literally have been pulled from uh, from uh, YouTube. All of there them. He think the, that he might have started catching some grief. Uh, why? I'm not sure. I'm not well, sure. The, the video that I found the most interesting, if, if we're talking about the same series, was one where <clears throat> he lands on the side of a of a mountain. And then stops the engine, comes to a complete stop, uh, and then releases the brakes yep. and rolls down the hill. Basically, the airplane flies off the edge of a cliff. Still, the prop is not turning. Yeah, that whole dead stick thing flies yeah. way down the canyon. Dead, and Dead yeah. stick takeoff, dead stick landing. And he doesn't start the engine until he's come to a stop at the other runway. Some... Uh, number of feet below his starting point and some distance away. Uh, that was fun. Yeah, that was yeah, fun. yeah, it really was. Yeah. And there's nothing. I don't, I don't find something illegal about that, or, or, or for that matter, unsafe in the way he did it. 
No, I didn't see anything about it. Uh, I mean, if you're comfortable with the airplane and comfortable with your uh, your uh, uh, glider flying right. skills, uh, I didn't see any violations there. What I wondered about was the uh, property that he might have been using. Well, that's that's that might be federal property or or, or something like that. Um, uh, it's certainly you know, not my was, property. No. So, yeah. If, who knows? If, if, Right. That's the only thing that came to mind that I thought could be remotely uh, uh, an issue was that the uh, that the uh, some of the locations were places where, for whatever reasons, uh, he shouldn't have been. But as far as the actual operations and the actual uh, uh, flying that he did, I, I. I, I took a look. I talked to a buddy of mine at the Great Hall at 800 Independence Avenue in D.C., and he kind of said, eh, no FARs that bar that that he knows about. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, cool. All right. Uh, oh, so, you know, the, I'm sorry, the last thought on going back to the Sport Cruiser thing. Um, so we very kind of briefly talked about it. I, I don't think any of us, I know I haven't, has flown the Sport Cruiser. I have not flown it. I have not, I no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, do we have any any? Do we know anything more about its characteristics? I guess we're going to have to ask around here and uh, and learn what we can about this airplane. It's probably going to be notable if Piper's going to get behind it. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it, I, I haven't. I haven't even sat in one. I got up close and personal with both of the copies they had at, at uh, Sebring. Um, it looks nicely done. The fit and finish are, are good. It's an all metal airplane. With you know, like a, a composite uh, canopy and, and I think some other tail feathers are are composite. Um, the riveting is is um, uh, pop rivets. It's not buck rivets. Um, it it looks uh, well built, well designed, well balanced. It, the Piper in the Piper trim, it's well appointed. Uh, it's a glass panel. Um, I wouldn't mind flying one, fly one in a heartbeat, at least, you know, with, a, with an instructor. But um, um, it, it looks like a nice uh, addition to Piper's lineup. There was, and I don't know what the answer is, and I even hesitate to say anything about it, but it, there was some idle speculation uh, among some of the attendees th- about Piper's bringing this out right now very quickly on the heels of a Cessna announcing that deliveries on the Skycatcher have been delayed, you know, nine, ten months or whatever it is. Um, the uh, the Piper has a Rotax engine. The Cessna has a, tr- quote, traditional, unquote, uh, continental engine in it. And kind of kind of a head-scratcher as to what will happen with some of the orders people have placed for Skycatchers, especially those looking to use them in a school or something like that, when they can now get a Piper. And take advantage of that uh, uh, that support network, that that distribution network, parts distribution network, for example. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens. It'll, yeah. it'll, that aspect of it will be interesting. I don't know that that uh, um, either company has a, a better mousetrap in, in their aircraft. They are different aircraft. In in a sense, they're it's kind of a traditional battle, if you will. Um, you, know, you can hark back to the '60s on this and. And here's Cessna with a new high-wing airplane, and here's Piper with a new low-wing airplane. I was going to comment and, on and that. We, we, Funny we coincidence, back, huh? Yeah. We come back to the top of the, of the, of the episode, but um, it, it, it really goes back about 50 years here to some of the more traditional competition we've seen. 
in the in this marketplace, and it will be truly interesting to see if there is any um, uh, anything momentous that comes out of this. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's it, 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 along in this Cessna Piper thing. It's worth pointing out that Piper started out building nothing but high wing airplanes. Very good point. Hmm. Yeah. Very good okay. point. One last thought on uh, the Sebring uh, Sport Expo before we move on here, uh, and that is that uh, our pal uh, Dave Allen from the Pilots uh, Flight Podlog was down there uh, one day, and he recorded a bunch of interviews. Um, and from the teasers he's been putting out, they sound pretty interesting. Um, uh, covered some interesting ground, uh, spoke to some interesting people about some uh, cool, you know, uh, relatively new airplanes. And uh, he's gradually posting those as uh, individual um, short episodes uh, on the uh, Pilot Flight Podlog uh, uh, website. So uh, if you're interested, go take a look at those. Well, you never know who's going to wander into the virtual hangar and look who's here. got to keep other. that door shut, man. Yeah, I know. None other than uh, Stephen, uh, uh, what is it, Captain Stephen Force? Commander? Um, Captain Force for short, Stephen Force for slightly longer, and Steve Tupper in, in Meat Space. How you doing, Steve? Very well, thank you. I, I stumbled over a couple of motorcycles here here in the hangar. Must be must be Jeb has been uh, storing stuff. <laughs> That's yeah, what it is. That, that must be it. That's yeah, what well, it is. We'll talk about that later. Yeah, really. So, Steve, one of the reasons we're glad you swung by, uh, and, and quite and all kidding aside, we asked you to come on by because we wanted to hear a little bit more about AcroCamp. Um, we talked about it. I think it was last episode. Um, some of the things that I had heard about what you were up to, but I, I'd like to hear a little bit more directly from you. Um, what's AcroCamp? What are you up to here? AcroCamp is it's a lot of different things coming together in a slightly new and different format. Long story short, we're going to take four people from across North America, um, from all walks of life um, and so on, and we're going to gather in southeast Michigan at some point in late April, mid-May, or early June of, uh, of 2010 here, just coming up, and all of whom are at least private pilots, but none of which has a tailwheel rating and none of which has done any substantial aerobatics. We're taking over a Part 61 flight school for four and a half days, and these folks are going to fly aerobatics. They're going to train aerobatics for the first time. Uh, we're putting HD cameras and audio devices in all the aircraft. We're going to have Steadicam roving around on the ramp. We're trying to set up a, a well-lit pilot's lounge uh, for people to sort of hang out. We're doing... If we can manage it, um, a little, little campfire and some lineys uh, after each night on the airspeed patio at my place. And uh, Don Weaver and Barry Sutton of uh, the, 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 the acro instructors and tailwheel instructors are just going to put folks through their paces. So we're, we're going to make a movie out of it, ultimately. We're going to try to record for like four and a half days, end up with a couple of terabytes worth of stuff that we'll then sit down and kind of look at for maybe the next six months and with any kind of luck, it'll either be a TV show style thing or ideally a 90-minute film with original music and um, such story arcs as present themselves. Wow. Yeah, pretty cool. Where, 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 where and when again is this? It's going to be, we, we've got like four or five different time frames. It'll be um, an arrival day zero and then flight days one through four. The arrival day will be either a Wednesday or a Thursday. So we're talking flying Thursday through Sunday or Friday through Monday. And uh, it's going to be late April, uh, middle of May, or first uh, week in June. 
It'll be at uh, Sutton Aviation at the Aviation Station at uh, the Oakland County International Airport. That's Papatango Kilo. And uh, here in southeast Michigan, uh, it's, it's my primary airport. And I've, I've flown with both these guys now. Okay. Now, very, where did, so, where did so this Pontiac, idea come Pontiac from? Pontiac in, 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 in early spring. Yeah. Yeah. So, Stephen, where, where did this idea come from? Pretty cool. Well, thank you. I've been I've been shooting HD video myself in the airplane for the last year or so, and it's been a lot of fun. And and the, and the camera stuff works really well. What I want to do is is capture as much of the envelope of first learning this stuff as I could. I've sort of already had those experiences, and you know, you the, the wide-eyed stuff doesn't happen with me anymore. I'm more teeth clenched, you know, trying to get stuff right. What and Frankly, I've been capturing myself doing this stuff for the better part of four years. It's I really want to get somebody else's view of it and sort of step back and be more of a mediator rather than you know the on-screen or on on audio personality. Plus, hanging out with Will Hawkins and Rico Shakarwi of a pilot story will do this to a guy. The, the enthusiasm to to make a movie just just rubs off on you. Yeah, yeah. So what? Do you have an idea of what the tone? Are you going for a particular tone here? Is this going to be educational? Is it going to be, you know, uh, life, you know, inspire, inspirational? Are you going to pick somebody to be the villain? Are you going to? I mean, <laughs> the it, it, the objective is to have it be as inspirational as possible. Um, think of it as Flyboys meets the real world meets uh, One Six Right. Frankly, meets a pilot story. Um, although, you know, different angle, sort of a journey of discovery. You know, any good story arc necessarily involves a change in the character. I, I don't know what four days, what person four days of acro training, training will not change. But I think what we're going to do is just kind of see what story arcs develop. Uh, I'm already working on some original music for it. And yes, I have music to go with the, the, the subtitle, And It Rained. You know, it's, <laughs> just in case. Just in case. And... But it's it's really just going to be you know what what happens and and I, I want everybody to be able to identify with at least one pilot and and their experience and with any kind of luck it turns into something that a at least turns into Acro Camp too, but b gets people out to go find a tail dragger get some Acro training frankly even just get an upset course um, for you know do a little kill proofing get a little bit more confidence sure, sure. and you're li- they'll be able to get addicted. Yeah. Now I know you're you're sort of in the midst of what you describe as the casting process right now. You've invited people to apply, and uh, I understand people are applying. Uh, you, it sounds from what I've been hearing on Twitter and so forth, you, you've gotten some pretty interesting. I, I don't know how much you can talk about this, but you've gotten some interesting candidates. Can you talk a little bit about you know some of them without identifying them too much? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, when you start to go by the gross numbers, we've got about twenty three applications in thus far. Which is really gratifying, considering that you know one of the core things is that the the camper, the cast members, or what we're calling them campers, are essentially paying their own way to get here, get back, and and the, the instructors and the aircraft and everything. Um, but twenty three applications, about nineteen, eighteen or nineteen of which uh, I think are qualifying on their face. Uh, we have men, we have women, we have people of of different ethnic extractions, uh, which is really cool. I mean, I'm looking for a diverse cast. I'm um, taking a little a little bit of ribbing because in the announcement I said, hey, we're looking for you know, diverse cast, but you know, for the avoidance of doubt, guys who look like I do are more than welcome to apply. It's just that you know we've we we see a lot of guys who look like me, and maybe it's 
if, if we can get competent folks who really represent a broad spectrum of, you know, people in North America to go have this experience as a proxy for others, uh, they'll do it. But it's where I, I triaged them for the first time this morning. Uh, I'm not sure when this is going to go out, but uh, the deadline ostensibly is uh, 1200 Zulu on Monday, February the 8th, although after applications will be uh, will be reviewed as they're available. But uh, I'm I'm very excited. Yeah, yeah. Are any of the applicants uh, stand out? And I, I know you haven't picked. And I'm not asking you to give that away, but I'm just wondering if they're in, what are the characters like? Are, are, are any of them jump out when you were looking at it and say, "Oh, this guy's cool," or "This woman's interesting"? I, I don't know what you know. Yes, we've. There's a 21 year old college student from uh, from somewhere in Canada. There is uh, there's a smattering of people in their late fifties, early sixties who are interested. There's um, uh, one corporate jet pilot that you know uh, who is who has an interest in it. And I'm very pleased about that. Um, we have I think four women have applied, and I'm delighted by that. Um, and really, people from all over the country, a disproportionate number of people from you know Southeast Michigan, simply because it's going to be a little bit easier for for them to get there. Um, one gentleman who's a doctor from Indiana, the, whom whom I've met personally, and um, the, it, probably three quarters of the people I've not met, and the other quarter you know knew reasonably well. And it's the, the application has been structured such to to give me a window on their soul. I, I ripped off uh, what I believe you guys ripped off is you know tell me your three your three airplanes your fast slow and upside down oh cool yeah okay uh, I inserted a question uh, with respect to the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow <laughs> okay. and and have gotten have gotten everything from a a you know a a kiss off to an actual calculation uh huh <laughs> has anybody submitted a screen test. Um, I've asked people to submit. I submit a picture, um, either a link to like Facebook or whatever, or send me pictures, and they've been sending them to me. The interview process is going to be done by video conference over Skype. Ah, okay. We're going to record those, and ideally, if everything works out just right, we're going to, the, the film will introduce the campers, starting out with their Skype interview, uh-huh. which will be very small, very kind of remote, and then we'll sort of suck them in through the camera lens. As they you know walk through the door at the FBO, as they walk out onto the expansive ramp and and all that. Yeah, are you going to be introducing us to these people prior to the release of the video? I mean, are we going to know? You going to tell? You going to be blogging this, for example? Oh, blogging, podcasting, tweeting the whole mess. And if I may say so, the tag, the hashtag is Acrocamp. Uh, pound sign Acrocamp. Okay. One word. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna, um, in a minute, I'm going to ask you for all that context stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. The, we're we're going to blog it podcast. I'm encouraging the campers to blog podcast and otherwise promote it. The I think the plan is once we announce the four, what I'll try to do is an ensemble episode of Airspeed, uh, just kind of hanger flying with everybody, getting to know everybody, and um, I, I'd be a fool as a participant in the new media universe here not to try to build the buzz you know, with ground zero being the Podsphere. Yeah. Right. You guys have any questions, Jeb, Dave? I, I'm I'm quite impressed. This sounds like a great endeavor. I bet he'd I might love have you to, to throw an application. Are you guys eligible? You guys aren't tailwheel, are you, David? You probably are. No, I'm not. I'm not rated. I've gotten I'm not signed enough off. tailwheel time to have been rated a few times, yeah. but I've never gotten it signed off, unfortunately. And have you done I'm much intentionally upside down? 
I've done a little of that, yeah. Okay, all right. I'm sorry, David, you not, had a question? Not much, yeah. Is, are, are there any scholarships available? <laughs> None of which I'm aware, and any such scholarships would uh, would have to be provided by uh, a third party. But, you know, hey, for, for all I know, there's there's there, there's folks out there who, who might want to do that, and we'd, we'd certainly entertain it. You know, I'm not making any money off the 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 stuff that's going to go on the actual flying. Um the, the the film, if any films are any indication, will lose substantial amounts of money and will be sort of a labor of love. It'll be miraculous if it makes any money, and if it does, I'll naturally dump that into going out and flying upside down for, for the camera myself. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, it sounds like a great sounds like a great project. Yeah. Yeah, I, I and uh, I want to. I'm going to come up and watch. That's what I want to yeah. do. Uh, I want to come and hang out by the field and and uh, and and check this all out. It's going to be very very cool. Uh, it just kills me that I didn't think of this idea. This is just. <laughs> this is just. Well, yeah, I know the feeling. Yeah. Well, I, re- I regard that is very high praise coming coming from you, Jack. Oh you, well, you know, okay. All you're, right. You're not without visionary qualities in this meeting. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes it's an ugly vision, but you know, <laughs> there's there, there's that. It's dark. It's raining. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Stephen, where can people learn more about AcroCamp? Uh, they can check out uh, the website www.acrocamp.com. A C R O C A M P dot com. Um, they're the exclusive place for the the sort of chatter about it. And Don Weaver, one of the IPs, is very active there. Is the AcroCamp group on my transponder. That registration is free. It's at mytransponder.com. And if folks are, are tweeting about it, uh, please do use the, the uh, pound acrocamp hashtag. And, and also, obviously, keep, stay tuned to, uh, to Airspeed for episodes. We, we just had uh, a conversation with Don Weaver about what to expect at acrocamp. Um, some of my flights with Barry Sutton, the other uh, IP for the camp, uh, are already out there. And um, I, I will also jump in and say, you know, check out Uncontrolled Airspace because I'm, I'm very grateful for having been, been pulled into the hangar to be able to talk about yeah. this. I'm, I, I, I can't thank you guys enough. It's oh, kind well, of you. you're very welcome. We, uh, we're, 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 I, I personally am just real thrilled about this. This is going to be very, yeah, very cool. Yeah, this sounds like a, a lot of fun. And um, regardless of whether, you know, some, some, uh, um, some film or, or, or lengthy video feature comes out of it, uh, it, it's, it sounds just like a really cool project. Hats off yeah. to you. And, it, it, you know, there's an opportunity for a class reunion downstream a few years. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stephen, if people wanted to uh, apply, uh, if they hear, they hear this in time and they want to apply, they go what? Go to acrocamp.com and the information is there? Um, the, the casting call is at acrocamp.com. The uh, link to the application, which is being done on SurveyMonkey, uh, the link to the application is actually in the My Transponder group uh, called AcroCamp, and um, you know, to make, go to AcroCamp.com first. Read the requirements because we're if you're if you're more than about 200 pounds, or if you've got uh, really short legs or things like that that are discussed in there, probably best to kind of hold your fire uh, until they get either smaller airplanes or for for some of my good friends, we're going to have to do like acro camp four all in aerobatic DC threes because of the weight, <laughs> but, but, but head there, do, do apply. And I definitely want to be there for that. That's, you know, I'm, I'm thinking the 707 barrel roll. Yeah. 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 You, you, you can do it positive. G. Yeah. And Tex Johnson did it. I mean, just, there you go. There you go. Stephen, we're going to let you get back to your uh, sorting through all these casting uh, applications. But real quickly, uh, what's the latest with the Airspeed podcast? You've been up to anything fun? 
Um, I am putting out the the proposals for the 2010 season. I've got uh, I met a bunch of people at uh, at ICAS. Um, I've at least one of the proposals is in fact with the Air Force for for really cool stuff. And uh, I might, I'm trying to win the bet having to do with the uh, getting a must or getting a media ride in a Mustang. Uh-huh. Uh, I have a, I have a line on that. I got money on you winning, but I, the odds are very low. I'm not going to make very much money because you're going to win. Yeah, but you know, bear in mind, I'm competing with David Allen too, who is a force to be reckoned with in anybody's book. Yeah, he, he nothing if not enthusiastic. That's for sure. sure. Yeah, that's yeah. Exactly. okay. That, that's um, that's basically it. We'll be ideally doing a multi-engine initial commercial here in uh, uh, probably late March, early April. And we'll cover all that stuff, and you know, frankly, all the all of the OPA I can get into in the upcoming season. I got ten rides last year. Um, if I got uh, even even most of that uh, in 2010, I would be delighted. Well, that's great. Uh, tell us the yeah. URL for the Airspeed Podcast. It is www.airspeedonline.com. All right, that's great, Stephen. Thanks for taking a few minutes and joining us here on the virtual hangar. That's a really exciting project, uh, and. Uh, we're going to be paying close attention, and uh, and we want to hear more as time goes on. I am very grateful for the virtual lineys, and I'll let you guys get back to it. Thanks so much. <laughs> You're welcome. Take care. Thanks, Take care, Steve. Steve. Uh, in, I, I don't know if it was last week's episode. I think it was the week before. Uh, we had a little shout out from a listener, um, a very, very good listener, a good, very good friend who's a listener, uh, Navy on pilot, Jonathan, um, sent us, uh, he called us on his phone from, uh, from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, where he was visiting on business. Uh, and he was actually in, uh, the charcoal pit, which is uh, <laughs> one of our hangouts when we're out there for air venture. Um, and then since then he's posted some pictures from his visit, uh, in the forums and there, it's you know, it's always disconcerting to me to see to see uh, the the air venture grounds with snow on the ground. It's just like disturbing. Uh, There's snow place like home. There's yeah. snow place like home. Yeah. So he's got a picture here of the charcoal pit sign with snow banks in front of it and, and snow on the on the on the shrubbery and uh, a picture. Uh, oh, I yeah, I'll come back to that one. There's a picture of the. Uh, of the beer ball place. This is what he calls it. He yeah. calls it the beer ball place, which is it, one of that, the. It looks like we could get in. Yeah, yeah I know. This is the. Uh, <laughs> this is one of the beer garden places. that's not run by EAA. It's just outside the grounds, um, and it's kind of notorious and legendary and cool and fun and everything. Um, and apparently, this time of year, the only thing that remains is a is the tra- is the trailer part of an eighteen wheeler with the word beer on the side, and so that's sitting there. Um, and, but there's uh, no problem getting a parking space. Yeah. Sure. Uh, a kind of picturesque picture of uh, of Pioneer Airport um, is uh, uh, where, by the way, they weren't. I as I understand it, weren't able to hold the ski, or at least it weren't able to hold the flying part of the ski plane flying because the weather was bad. Um, but I'm sure they did the chili and uh, and the birthday cake. Um, and, well, they, uh, they they'd lost some of the snow that he put in here. Oh yeah, oh yeah, maybe they did. But here's my favorite but one of these pictures. He says they, the the caption of this picture is this is my campsite in Camp Scholler. He says I was unable to mark my spot for Air Venture 2010 due to the snow buildup. All right, you know it's just like I love that he he went onto Camp Scholler. He was going to put down his little stakes and his yellow rope and uh, mark out his space. And and the uh, and and the really crazy thing is he probably wasn't the first person who was there this year trying to mark out their place. Judging by the footprints in the snow, I think you're right, Jack. So, uh, thanks to uh, Navy on Pilot for uh, for sending along these pictures of uh, Oshkosh in winter. We hooked up a little bit at uh, at Sebring. It was good to check. Oh, in you did. Him. Yeah, yeah, he was at Sebring. Yeah. What did he fly his Navy on down, or what was he? You know, I didn't even get that far into the conversation and ask. I don't think he did. I think he airlined down or or uh, hitched a ride or something like that. Yeah. 
Yeah. And next next time, buddy, when you know you're going to be at Oshkosh in the wintertime, uh, take longer stakes. <laughs> <laughs> Reach down through the snow. That's right. Yeah. Steel ones would be good because uh, I can tell you from recent experience, when there's that much snow on the ground, the ground underneath tends to be a little bit tough. Yeah, really, really. Um, lots of references to the forums tonight. Um, the forums are a really cool place to hang out. There's a lot of interesting things going on there. Uh, listener Sven uh, calls our attention to a really cool uh, restoration project. Story from the uh, PressDemocrat.com, which is, once again, I have no idea where, but uh, um, it's a, a story about a guy who was doing the restoration on a, uh, a, a sop, what is it, a sop with camel? No, it's a near, oh, I'm a sorry. Newport. Newport, thank you. Newport 28. Yeah. Um, there aren't very many pictures of it here. Um, there's one kind of cool picture of it with its skin off. Um, almost look like it's in somebody's backyard. I can't quite figure that picture out. Um, it, it does look like it's in somebody's backyard. Yeah. I think maybe that's where it was for a while, or maybe that's where he did some of the initial work because they later talk about it being in, in a hangar. Um, it's ironically or not, maybe intentionally, um, it's being restored at what used to be, I believe the Santa Rosa airport, uh, there in uh, California, north of the Bay area. Um, but has, uh, in recent years been renamed the Charles M. Schultz Sonoma County Airport. That's um, right. Charles Snoopyville. M. Sh- Sh- uh, Schultz being the uh, the longtime author and creator of uh, the Peanuts cartoons and Snoopy. And uh, so it's kind <laughs> of... Curse you, Red Baron. That's right. Um, there's a sad picture here of, uh, I think, the same airplane, the same airframe um, after a crash where one of the wings is torn up and the tail is twisted. And uh, um, But it's being restored now. It's kind of cool. And... Uh, it's apparently got quite a history. It was used in movies, this particular airframe, used in uh, movies and a TV series and, uh, and whatnot. Uh, it's it's kind of neat. I, uh, this is great, people restoring yeah. airplanes yeah. to flying conditions really the, way, cool. the way it ought to be. Yeah, That's great. Any other thoughts on this airplane before we wrap this thing up? Make me one, uh, too. There was a question in uh, the forums about the article saying that it had a rotary engine, and somebody said they didn't think there were any more except in museums, and it's actually not true. There are uh, there are a few out there uh, and operating uh, yeah. places like uh, uh, the uh, Flying Museum in upstate New York uh, that I just suddenly went blank on. Uh, ding! Old, old Rhinebeck. Old Rhinebeck. Thank you. Uh, they had a. Uh, uh, I photographed. Uh, I believe it was a Sopwith Camel. That they had, uh, it was a replica that was a complete perfect match of original, all the structures and all that. And it had an original round uh, rotary engine in it. And we did some air to air photography with it at Sun and Fun. It was towed down from California, from New York State, assembled, and then flown uh, about four times during the week of Sun and Fun that year. And uh, the, uh, the, uh, issue with the flights was including our air to air mission was we were limited to about 15 minutes because the uh the, the engine has such a short tbo for one and it uses a total loss lubrication system and the lubrication castor oil is not exactly cheap and easy to get and keep and uh the uh spark system was an open plate and uh, it would get 
contaminated with uh, a film from the castor oil coming out of the exhaust system, which uh, since the uh, power was adjusted by a switch that controlled how many cylinders fired per revolution, uh, having anything uh, screw with the uh, ignition system was, uh, you know, risky business for this very expensive, very unique, uh, identical replica. So, uh, the uh, there there are those engines around. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was just googling that. Uh, there's a website for a company called Power Sport Aviation. Um, that are doing rotary engines. Um, the, well, that's what the website said. I just I just loaded it. Um, I haven't looked at it uh, very closely here. Yeah. Now we're talking uh, about the historic yeah, they, legendary they rotary. Two, as opposed to like, hor- they, this is a new manufacturer, new design, uh, two hundred fifteen horsepower rotary engine. It's not like a, one of these, you know, internal Wankel rotary engines. We're talking like an old rotary airplane engine, which is a different, right, right. different well, beast altogether. I'm not sure what we're talking here. Okay. All right. uh, yeah, Power Sport, I think, is doing Wankel conversions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the rotary engine that we're talking about for aircraft here is one in which the crank shaft is stationary right. and the case with the cylinders bolted to it right. actually rotates and the prop is bolted to the front of the case. Yeah, an amazing beast. I, I, I saw one once. They had a, a replica or a, or a restored one on a stand at Oshkosh one year. The um, the folks at Oshkosh who 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 drive that that bizarre fl- flapping wing thing around, you know, the prehistoric. Oh, you mean a helicopter? No, 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 no. This is at Oshkosh. It's that, it's one of these weird Oshkosh things. They have helicopters at Oshkosh. People still love, and it's the it's the uh, uh, what do they call it? The ornithopter. Ornithopter. That's the one. The ornithopter, yeah. and it's got the prehistoric wing walking lady on top, and the whole thing. Anyways, the folks that created that in the first place that funky engine that's driving that that makes this ka-chunka sound all right is one of a whole batch of uh, restored um just just legendary old aircraft engines um that they build and or restore um as part of a of an exhibit and i don't know if it's a formal museum or not but uh, it's very cool and for a while they had an exhibit at at every year at oshkosh i haven't seen it recently um one year they had actually rebuilt an engine exactly like the Wright Flyer engine, and uh, and they would run it like one, every couple hours throughout the week at Oshkosh. It was quite a thing to see, and it was kind of amazing to imagine that that the Wright brothers flew their airplane with this. You, you, the pictures, you know, you see the pictures, and there's no sound, uh, 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 you know, in, involved with the the historic photos and whatnot of the Wright brothers, and you have this kind of sense of it being graceful and silent flight, you know, and that kind of thing. This engine was just like raucous. This just just <laughs> scary engine. Like you know, I mean, if your engine these days made that kind of a noise, you'd turn back. You know, no question. <laughs> uh, but uh, but that's what that's how it all got started. Was uh, oh dear, these, really? It's, it's supposed to sound like it's that. supposed to sound like horrible. I don't know. Um, anyways, uh, cool stuff. Uh, and uh, I forget what we were talking about. Oh, the uh, the uh, Snoopy airplane. Um, thanks yeah, the, to well, uh, this is yeah, this is a Newport replica yeah. Snoopy. Prided himself on flying a sop with camel. Uh, okay. Um, so, anyways, uh, c- uh, thanks to uh, listener Sven for calling our attention to this. It's pretty cool, and uh, we'll keep an eye open for more news on the, the this cool restoration project out in Santa Rosa. What else here? Uh, oh, shout outs. We got to get to wrap this thing up. Um, yeah. 
Uh, I'll do. I'll go first. I got an email from uh, from one of our listeners, Rick Felty, uh, who uh, is uh, becoming a good friend and is uh, been doing some really cool videos. As, as an aside, I should say, um, if you check him out on YouTube, he's been uh, recording. Uh, his he's a relatively new private pilot, um, but he's really uh, uh, jumped in with both feet, and uh, he's a professional video guy, and so it's kind of comes natural to him to record his flights. And so he has this amazing rig. He flies his airplane with three count them three video cameras mounted in the wow. airplane all right he's got like one that's looking out down the wing and one that's pointed at himself and one that's from behind his head looking out the front window and because he's a video pro you know he takes this stuff and he edits it together and he makes these fascinating videos of the flights that he's making all around new england um but that's another story uh he sent me an email where he said uh, i've got to tell you a story that just happened to me this morning i was in line at the local post office and overheard an older gentleman talking about flying eventually i introduced myself and we exchanged the usual um you know what do, what do you fly where do you fly out of etc um Who, who's is bigger than the other yeah exactly um he asked him what kind of airplane he learned in um and he had some fun stories about quote before the war anyways uh, rick writes the interesting thing is uh he's the secretary of a group called ufo and uh, he says he's not sure if we'd heard about this but it's called the united flying octogenarians mm -hmm. and uh, he says apparently they have hundreds of members um you can learn more about them they're at uh, at uh, united flying octogenarians.org and wow. uh, uh, it's, you know, God bless them, man. I'm going to be, I, I look forward to joining them at some point. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. me too. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, wait a minute. Okay. The, uh, if you go, the link that Rick gave us, excuse me, the link that Rick gave us takes us to uh, an, sort of an about page. And if you click back to the home page, it has a uh, airplane <laughs> noises. So I'm going to get away from that. But, uh, ah. um, but that's pretty cool. If you're uh, if you're an octogenarian flying, or nearly one, or simply want to support octogenarians in the air, uh, you can go to unitedflyingoctogenarians.org. I take it you guys hadn't heard about this before. Oh, I've heard of them before. You know, I'm I've not heard of them. Yeah. Would not be ineligible for membership. <laughs> I, uh... I would have figured you were an emeritus member, Dave. Uh, I, I, no, I'm not going near that. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> I, will, I, I will be keeping this reference for later use, though. <laughs> okay. Uh, you guys got any shout outs here? I'm just going to say quick and dirty uh, the, my new friends uh, here in South St. Paul at, uh, at Fleming Field uh, at, at, at Whip Air. Uh, had a really uh, productive couple of days with them and uh, enjoyed seeing their factory and learning about the things they do and uh, just blew me away how much deeper and, and uh, broader that company's footprint is than I ever realized knowing primarily only about their floats and, and, and their float business. Uh, I was, uh, quite frankly, uh, uh, kind of blown away. And uh, so we, the results of this will, will be out much quicker than uh, than the last time I had a project I had to embargo. But uh, I don't have to embargo who I've been visiting with. And uh, uh, Sarah and Ben and, and, and Mark and uh, and Bruce and all the gang that uh, uh, helped me out here the last couple of days, uh, great spending time with you. Uh, enjoyed it. And uh, look forward to doing some more of that on other projects uh, down the road. Thanks for the hospitality. Cool. Jeb, you got anything? Yeah, I got one. Um, kind of a sad note, uh, but uh, an interesting one. Um, the only ace 
from the World War II era Tuskegee Airmen, uh, retired Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Lee A. Archer, uh, passed away uh, this week. He was 90 years old. Um, he's widely acknowledged as the only member of the Tuskegee Airmen to become an ace. Uh, and um, um, there's still a few of them out there, um, still a few, a few of the Tuskegee Airmen out there. But uh, this just kind of a kind of a, you just mark his passing and, and mark his achievements and, and mark all the other achievements from the Tuskegee Airmen. Yeah, well, and it's a reminder that we're losing a yep. lot of these World War II vets in large numbers every day, and uh, you know we're we're getting closer and closer to the time when we'll have that Associated Press article saying the, the last veteran of World War II passed on recently. Uh, all of us know some of these folks, men and women, who uh, hung it out for us. We, we, we might be here had they not done their thing, but it's very possible we'd be speaking in a different language right now. So for the ones, that you, for the ones of you who know some of these guys, some of these women, if you haven't tipped your hat to them lately, uh, don't hesitate the next time. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Here, here. My dad included, as a matter of fact, and uh, going to go visit with him tomorrow. So, uh, um, anyways, yes, remembering all these people. Hey, it's definitely time to stick a fork in this one. Uh, Jeb, it's always great talking with you. Uh, Jeb Burnside is a uh, an aviation journalist and currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, uh, where uh, could people find you on the Internet? Uh, personal website is uh, com. Uh, day job website, aviationsafetymagazine.com. Um, occasionally pop up on AvWeb, as I did uh, in the aftermath of the uh, Sebring show. And um, that's well, aviationconsumer.com uh, also. Yeah. Yeah. And David, that, uh, uh, glad you're surviving the cold. I'm jealous as hell that you're up there having fun like that. Not the cold part, the fun part. Uh, and uh, we can't wait till uh, you can tell us more about what you're up to up there. Uh, Dave Higdon is, uh, of course, an aviation photographer, also an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you on the Internet? Oh, avbuyer.com, aea.net, aviationconsumermagazine.com, uh, eaa.org, uh, actually. Uh, and uh, let's see. Well, I got a couple of others coming along here that the projects haven't been published yet, but that'll mean presence on some more websites. DaveHigdon.biz is the personal one. That's uh, predominantly my photography site. Uh, or Google me and read some of the historical stuff. Just remember, I'm not the golf writer or the theoretical physicist. That's right. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Thanks, as always, to uh, Jeff Ward for creating our uh, excellent show notes. Thanks to Mike Morgan and Royce Earl and to the many other listeners who have created the show opening disclaimer clips at the beginning of every episode. Uh, we're waiting for some more uh, uh, listener, uh, uh, what I call pyreps, or uh, our listener shout-outs to be sent in. Uh, feel free to uh, record a couple of minutes or, or less, a couple of seconds, actually, a, a hello and a who, where you're from and, and, and some comment or observation or something like that, and we'll put it in the podcast. Um, but uh, we're grateful for the folks that have sent those in already. 
And finally, uh, last but not least, we are very grateful for the financial support that we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And, of course, don't forget that you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, you can view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation's movies list, the new ratings, wiki. webpage of fame, and more. All of that at uncontrolledairspace.com. Wiki! David. I was gonna, did he do that wiki thing? He did. <laughs> David, what were you really going to say? Time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Live longer and go fly. That's right. That's enough talking. Let's go flying. And now we have photographic evidence. TTFN. <laughs> <laughs>